0: Today's passage comes from the book Malachi chapter four, verses one through three. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze as the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall shine, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, James. Good morning. All right. This mic feels a bit hot. Am I coming in hot this morning? Um, and, uh, well, hey, my name is Dave. I'm the, uh, the lead pastor here at Redemption. Tucson, and um, I'm, I'm glad that you're here this morning, and it's good to, to be to be together. Um, just a heads up, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I have a speech impediment. It'll kind of come in and out as I go, so I want to make sure that y'all have a heads up on that, that you know. Um, and uh, as we wrap up this series in Malachi this morning... Um, this, this, that song that we just sang about the, the Father's arms are, are open wide and that He calls us to come to the altar. Um, don't worry, those of you that are going to hand out Bibles all, do all that. But I, um, as you guys know, if you've been here a while, sometimes I forget the exact wording of songs we just sang. And so I didn't want to do that. So um, this is where we're going to start out. Let me just remind us um, of what we're doing here this morning as we hear God's word as we read and, and respond to him and to who he is and to what he's saying to us through his word. Um, this morning, he starts out in, um, in verse 6 of Malachi um, chapter 3, where God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, and then he, he goes, So the fact that God does not change, he is the same. We know in the New Testament about Jesus, it is written, he says, um, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and, and then here he says, therefore, O children of Jacob, um, you are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And then God's call, and this is his call to us this morning, wherever we're coming from, whether you have trusted Jesus, put your faith in Him, you would call yourself a Christian, or or you're you're not, and you and you know that. Perhaps you're here with a friend, or you're 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 just coming around. Um, whatever it is, I'm I'm glad you're here. And this is God's promise. He says. He says, "Return to me." And if you return to me, I will return to you. And and it's in light of the fact that God does not change, that he is who he says he is, and that he is revealing himself to his people, and he's calling us to return to him, to to respond to him, to come before him. And and this letter, the whole, um, or this book, rather, the whole book of Malachi is a love note, all right? How many of you have been here throughout this series? How many of it has felt like a love note? note, right? Not so much, right? Like, if you wrote this Valentine to somebody, um, you probably wouldn't get one in return, all right? It's, 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 not, it's not warm and fuzzy. It doesn't make you want to snuggle, all right? But um, it's a love letter. It's, it's God says, I have loved you. And, and, and God's love is so real and so true and so deep and so rich that it, it calls for, it demands a response, which is either rejection or Returning to him. And it's hard, all right, because love can be hard. And um, in fact, next week we're going to be talking about love as we start a new series that's countercultural conv- conv- convictions. And let me just say on the front end, we're all going to be uncomfortable in this series. Some of the sermons, some of us will be saying amen, 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 and then other ones will be like, I don't like that. Hands, arms will be crossed, right? And then it'll. We're all gonna. There's a lot. There's enough for everyone. Okay. Seven weeks. We're gonna be talking about countercultural convictions, and we're gonna be starting it off with love. And I think this series really translates well into that. As God says, "I love you. Return to me," but it's it's hard. All right. And so as we wrap up this series, it's going to be that way again. So um, go ahead and turn with me to Malachi chapter three, verse six. We'll be um, there through all the way through chapter four, verse six. So we've got a lot to cover this morning. If you have a copy of God's word, turn there. If you don't, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and we will get you one. Okay. So hold, hold your hand up, keep it up. And we want to make sure you have a copy of God's word. Y en español si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, es regalo a usted y esta mañana estamos en Alequias capítulo 3 y so again this is our gift to you, okay? I want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's word. And this is where we'll be this morning, okay? Out of the gates, this is God's message of love, okay? He's saying um You have arrogantly robbed and mocked me, so beware of the coming day of the Lord. Okay, fear the day of the Lord. And then this is how we're going to walk through it here. You see, robbing God with consumerism, mocking God with arrogance, and anticipating God with fear. I love you. (laughs) <laughs> right, right? How many of you feel loved right now? so again, that's where we're going um, in this love letter from from God um, let's pray together and ask His spirit to lead us and guide us through our time together in His word. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you right now. Again, all coming from different places and um, different ideas and thoughts about what to even expect this morning. And, and um, as someone said actually earlier this week, and it stuck with me, people are gonna hear what they wanna hear. And, and Lord, unless you intervene, um, we don't have ears to hear your word. We don't have eyes to see your truth. And so I pray that through your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, you would aliven all of our hearts and our ears and our eyes, open us to receive and to respond rightly to you. And then in that same Spirit, Lord, lead my words. Let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And so we depend on you now to lead us through this time in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Robbing God with consumerism. Let's dive right in. Again, where I all already picked up. Again, God's promise. This is the gospel. That because God is unchanging, He is an initiating God. And He initiates with His people. And He says, You have, you have run away from Me, but return to Me. And I will return to you. And then, as has been the case, the people mockingly respond. How shall we return? Okay, that's not a, a desire. The, the, the tone here in the language is not, yeah, how, God? Just show us the way, and we will. We want to. It's more of a, of a mockery, more like if you were here when we walked through um, Exodus, more like Pharaoh. It's like, who's God? I don't know him. I'm not going to listen to him. That's the tone. That's the hardened heart of the people um, right now that are hearing this. Well, how? How will we return to you? And then in verse 8, God says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the answer, in your tithes and contributions. And so, again, there's this 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 challenge of God. This is what's been called the disputations. Okay, There have been six disputations where God says something and the people dispute or contend or argue with. And then God sets the people straight. And it's happened time and time and time again. And here it happens in this word here. He says, you have robbed me. And the word there is more like, think like Viking plunderers. Like we tend to think of like, um, like stealing, kind of sneaky and stuff like this. But this is no um, attacking the vulnerable and, and stealing and plundering everything in, 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 a, in, a, in a vicious and wicked way. And God's saying, you have robbed me. And that might sound weird. Well, if God is almighty and all powerful, how can he be plundered? Okay but but, but, but god 's concern in his heart has been shown that he cares for the vulnerable, and that his plan is that the gifts and the offerings of his people in worship to him giving in response to what He has given us, and He has just set the people free that time and time again they, they were exiled, and now they 're back from exile, and yet, as we heard about even some last week, they 're not worshiping Him in truth. And, 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 and so they're 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 holding back and they're skimming and they're being unfaithful. And God says, You're robbing me. You're robbing me with consumerism. And so, um as I say this and now go into some of these things, we might be wondering, well, how? How does that look? What does that look like? How, what does consumerism look like in their day? What does that look? I, I use that word because that gets to the heart of what is being written here in Malachi and how that connects to our day. We live in such a consumeristic society, that, that, and the image has been used, that we are like fish swimming in polluted waters, unaware, right? Fish can't identify the water they're in if it's all they know. And we are swimming in such consumeristic, kind of stingy waters that we don't even recognize that this is a mockery of God, or this is robbing God. And so um, I want to say a few things, okay? That this message and, and what I want us all to hear is truth and grace. Okay, that whenever we talk about money, it, we tend to feel shame and even tend to kind of want to hide and withdraw and kind of look away or all kind of crawl into our, our shells. And let me say, that's not from God. Okay, conviction. It's, it's, like, it's like the smoke, Right When there's a fire, um, it's like the check engine light that comes on. The Holy Spirit uses his word to convict our hearts and, and then to lead us to his grace. And so as we talk about these things, I want you to hear, my hope is that we will respond to God's grace and his love. Because as we talk about money, can okay, you hear me now, because this is important. We tend to hear the, the big three often, are, are that we tend to hear these things and, and that tend to lead to shame and, and confusion are often money, sex, and power. And our assumption often when we come to God is, God wants to steal my freedom. God, God when God talks about money or or sex or any kind of power. He wants to steal my freedom. He's a killjoy. He doesn't want what's best for me. And so we assume that, and then we respond accordingly. And again, it's often with shame, with hiding, or with distrust, with accusation, or which is again, like, well, God doesn't obviously have my best in mind. But no, the, the, the good news of Jesus, the promise, which we'll see down when we get into verse 10, is God saying, my way's the better way interact with money this way, the way that I am calling you to interact with it. Give generously. Give, give in such a way that you will be free. Okay, that money is meant to be used in, in, out of freedom. And then the same is true, though this isn't the main message this morning, but it always applies whenever we're talking about sex or, again, any form of power. When Jesus says, lay down your rights as I have laid down my rights, right? We look at the cross. He says, that's real power. Meek, right? The meek shall inherit the earth. Meek actually means in the, in the original language, it would be like a prize fighter, like a heavyweight prize fighter sitting there taking punches on the chin and saying, because I love you, I'm not going to use my power to destroy you. Right, we think of meek as like wamby pamby, kind of weak, and you know, like I don't know, um, some like a like a dandelion kind of tossed in the wind or something. But no, meek is actually Jesus saying, "I could call down legions of angels that could wreck you right now, but I won't because I love you. I will withhold my power for you." So you see that there is a freedom and power in sex, and money that God loves His people so much that He calls us into. And what he's getting at here is a, 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 is a matter of worship, of idolatry. Okay, he says, You, this, this imagery, you have robbed me with your consumerism. And God says, I care about you too much to let you settle for worshiping anything else or finding your joy and your meaning and your purpose in anything else. Okay, so what does that look like for us, right? It's, it's consider this author and, and Pastor Timothy. Keller uses some imagery that I think is really helpful. He talks about it this way. He says, if when invited to be generous, right, to give in any way, if your heart flinches, if you look for an out or an excuse, if that's the last alternative, if there's no other way that your money can be used, then you give. He says that that reveals something about you. That, that reveals a, 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 a belief about God, about his provision, about his generosity toward you. And then contrast that with this. If it's really easy for you to buy a shirt that you just found at the store, if it's really easy for you to spend your money in some other way, then, then what that reveals to you is, is your temple, your place of worship, where you find your security and your purpose and your identity is somewhere else. And in that case, in that, in that illustration, he says, he says your temple is actually your wardrobe. If it's really easy for you to buy, right, to consume clothes... And you can swipe it, oh, I just saw this super cute shirt, I'm gonna, it's going to look good on me, I bought this, I bought this new thing, Like that's going to be good. And that's really easy for you, and your heart doesn't flinch or question or challenge, then you're, you're ultimately recognizing that, that worth and value and identity and comfort come from your wardrobe. Now, some of us, I'll include me, are not great dressers, right? This is, that's not as much. I'm like, oh, cool, I'm out. No, consumerism is goods, experiences, relationships, right? Whatever it might be. So those of us that are like, loophole, my dress, I don't care about my clothes. No, we're all implicated in this, that, 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 that we consume, we spend our money. We're told where our treasure is, there our heart is. Right? Wherever we are, whether we spend a lot of money on clothes and the obvious boats and cars or whatever the, the, the obvious things are, or in other, maybe more subtle ways, we reveal what we care about by what we spend our money on. And, and and again, God doesn't say money is the root of all evil, or or money is 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 evil. So hear that right now, hear this. Man- Message is shame on you. No money, right? Typical, right, Pastor. So what do you do with it? We'll give it all to us, right? And we'll drive. You know, it's a good thing. Thanks for asking. I'll drive a caddy, and we'll we'll get a jet. We've been waiting on a private jet here at Redemption Tucson. We don't need a building, but helicopter, yes. Um, no. What do we? This the matter here. The issue is God. It's not like God needs our money. Okay. But again, he loves us. Hear me now, because I want to make this personal. He loves you too much to let you be lorded by anything else, included money. The, the verse, the passage that often comes, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. The dependence upon money. And the, uh, another image I heard is like this. Money is like water. Okay, think of it this way. Water without any boundaries, what's that? It's a flood. It's, it's, it comes crashing in. Yes, ocean, I heard, I will validate you. It's like a tidal wave, okay? It's, it's a flood. It creeps in. It, it destroys, so money without any boundaries, without any heart check, without any evaluation, any submission to God and to his will, any recognition that it comes from him, it's used by him to be a blessing and a gift, then it's a flood. It ruins. On the flip side, on the other extreme, money with too strict of boundaries is like a pond with no outlet that decays, that grows scum Right, that that stinks, that kills, that life can't be sustained in. But with proper boundaries, it's like a stream or a river that's flowing, that has banks that guide and direct, and life can flourish there. So money is God's idea. God's not anti-money. He's not like all this, you know, don't ever use it. It's evil, so just give it all away and live in what's been referred to as the poverty Gospel, which is a response to what I want to address now, is the prosperity gospel. Because this verse, verse 10, has been used a lot wrongly. So let's look at that together. Verse 10, God says, in a sense, He's saying, Test me, try me. I am generous. Don't rob me. But here, verse 10, He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. All right, God is saying, Try me, test me, bring your tithe, which means 10%. But in this case, and there's more we could get into that, but the idea is give of the first fruits not your leftovers. Don't wait. Don't pay all your bills first and then get all your food and all your clothes and all your this and then pay for your, you know, you got to do this and that and you wait. And then it's like, okay, God gets my little leftovers. God says, bring from when you first get that paycheck, give, right? And plan it out, all this stuff, but give generously And see if I don't provide for you. God is, this again has been misused. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't, if you now put something in the offering boxes, all of a sudden you're like broken down, you know the Corolla is going to turn into a Bentley out there, right? Like, how many of you, okay, it's not like name it and claim it. This is going to happen, I believe, just add a zero, and this is going to happen. I grew up in a church for a while that kind of preached that kind of gospel. This isn't that. But what God's saying, because again, God's, God knows the bigger picture. He's saying, listen, your worth and your value and, and, and your provision comes from me, so trust me and trust your, your finances and trust your livelihood and trust your identity and, and, and your, uh, your family and trust it to me and see if I don't provide for you. Okay, and I do believe that practically that does mean he actually physically cares for and provides for his people. But again, not in a kind of manipulation way, not in this prosperity gospel way. And as I already talked about the other response is this poverty gospel that's like, God hates money. He hates me, apparently. He doesn't want me to have any freedom. He's a killjoy. No, God cares about his people. And in love, he says, you have been robbing me with your consumerism. And now that's connected to he cares about it because it's, it's our, our worship or lack thereof. And he says, also, you have mocked me arrogantly. And so let's look to that together here in verse 13 of chapter 3, where God continues to call out his people. He says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Again, this challenging tone. How, God? Prove it, prove it, right? Um, He's like, right? We're like, Pee Herman. I know you are, but what am I? No, there's this challenge, this mockery, this, this and I always picture that as being nasally, all right? But there's this how. Well, how, God? Prove it. How have we spoken against you? And God says, verse 14, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping this charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? In a sense, they're what they're getting as is walking in a state of repentance, right? You're saying, what's the point? Why, what, like we did earlier, why, why confess our sins to God? Why turn to God? It's not, why, why have our head low as if there's anything to be sorry for? Well, that's what they, what is meant there when it says, when you, why walk is in a state of mourning, and now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So what's being said here is this idea is God's people are being implicated. They're saying, you are mocking me arrogantly because what you do is you're questioning whether or not it's of any worth or value to actually be a Christian. Or Okay, this is before Jesus, but this is to be God's people, to trust him, and you're questioning that, and you're saying it's obviously not worth anything. Look at all the people out there who have all the stuff. Look at, right, it's NBA All Star Weekend, and we could pick where it, whatever it is, right? You could all the obvious choices. We could go to Hollywood, wherever we want to be, and our, or our neighbor, or whoever it is, or our sibling, whatever. We want to look at. Well, they have it all figured out. They don't even, they don't even trust God. They mock Him. They don't, they don't even give. They don't even come to church. They don't even serve. They don't. And obviously, life is great for them. And and again, I want you to hear. There's a huge difference between genuinely with a contrite heart, asking God, God, help me understand. Why I've shared our story before, somewhat hits home for me, is we walk through my wife and I infertility, and there's, at some point, it's easy to look and say, man, why do all these people seem to just have, get, get pregnant really easily, outside of marriage, and so many people don't even want to keep their, their, their children and we are longing to have children and we want to raise them and disciple them and why, why? All right, that's, God invites that. He's our father and calls us to that. But if that, if, but also be warned, if your asking leads to further hardening of heart that then becomes accusation and then becomes spite and anger and arrogance, God warns against that. And again, in love, he says, listen, you're mocking me if you say it's in vain to, to follow God. If it's in vain to give your heart and your trust to him, and you say, well, everyone else has their life made, and they don't even trust God, so see, God, I guess you're pathetic. You're, you don't even know what you're doing. You start to harden, and God says, be warned. That's prideful. That's arrogant. But then he contrasts that with those who fear God. Okay, Look with me now in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. It's as though it could sound like God's like eavesdropping. Like there's this conversation going on and God's like listening kind of. But or the imagery that's so often the case is like picture a parent that overhears two young children talking. They're afraid, maybe their, 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 their life circumstances such that they're having a conversation and they're going away. And then the parent steps in and says, I hear you. Now, let me speak into that. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, again, let's pause here because we need to get this right. What does it mean to fear the Lord? This imagery that's going to be used now from here now is there's there is an unhealthy fear, or a fear that comes from those who do not know the Lord, who are not His people, and that's contrasted with those who rightly fear God. One quote I heard um, this week, uh, Pastor up at Redemption Tempe, Josh Boone Cutler said this. Um, let me grab it up here. He says. Unhealthy fear of the Lord is being afraid because I think God's a jerk. Healthy fear of the Lord is being afraid because I know I'm a jerk. (laughs) Okay, it's kind of funny, but how true is that? Like, unhealthy fear of the Lord is thinking oh man, God's the ogre in the sky and I'm gonna hide things from him and I'm gonna actually think that whatever it is that my closed door is somehow all of a sudden or even my thoughts, right? As long as I don't say whatever it is, like God doesn't know. So I'm gonna actually live a double life. I'm gonna, you know, put a face on for church. I'm gonna wear not only church clothes, but a church face and a church attitude. And I'm going to pretend these things and think I'm hiding from everyone else and from God, because if he finds out, he's going to zap me with lightning bolts and he's a jerk. And, and it's this kind of really, again, this broken idea, but, but healthy fear is recognizing I am so broken. The, 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 not only the, the words of my mouth that others can hear, but, but the thoughts of my heart are, are so wicked are out, outside of God's intervention, are so broken. And, and so, God, I, I know that you are holy. You're set apart. You're righteous. And, and who am I to arrogantly confront you, to arrogantly challenge you or question you? Okay, A.W. Tozer, an, an author, I, I, he, he says this. He says, The most important thing about a person is what comes into our mind when we think of God. And then from there, when we think of ourselves. And so that's getting at the same idea. A healthy fear of God is seeing God rightly and then also understanding yourself rightly. And then from there, seeing. There is a massive gap that needs God to do something about. Okay, and and we'll look here in a moment, but I I just want to go there because we look at the cross and we see both the terror of God's judgment and the incredible depths and beauty of God's love. We see what God thinks of with sin. The, The words of our mouths, the thoughts of our heart, God hates it. And then we also see the incredible depth of God's love when he looks and says, I love you so much that I will bridge that gap. I will fill that void, not by you trying to do a bunch of good things, but because I sent my son and because he was rejected, you can now be accepted through faith in him. And a healthy fear of God doesn't, doesn't allow us to just take that for granted have crosses tattooed all over our bodies or around our necks and then to come here and then to just have kind of a flipping view to 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 skip right over confession okay a a healthy fear of god recognizes god i don't have time right now in this two minutes that's given to confess my sin much less throughout the rest of my life if every thought word and action that is not right, that is unholy, that is, that is, that, 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 that fails to love you and love my neighbor. Like I could fill the oceans with that, but you have already filled that void. You've already made that way for me to be restored and reconciled to you. And then that leads to again, assurance of grace, standing in awe and wonder that is fearing the Lord. And then that goes into this last part here where um, in now chapter 4, there's this idea of the wicked will be consumed, who, who, and they should be terrified. They should have that right sense of fear before God. Pick up with me now in chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. That's this steadying heat, right? You can walk by an in, in oven that's on, in fact, we left our toaster oven on for like six hours yesterday. Any of you have seen the this is us. That's always the first thing that comes to mind. is like, oh no, right? Crockpot, toaster oven, very similar. But right, we left our and there was a, a loaf of bread right right near it. And we had walked past it. We'd interacted before the oven and all this stuff. Oh, it's hot. It's, you know, you can but you just you kinda you could you could miss it, but then Over time, the heat becomes so that by just walking by it, hours later, I felt the heat. And then I noticed the the loaf of bread that I'm surprised didn't spontaneously combust. It was so hot because it was just near to the oven. And that's this idea. The day of the Lord is coming. The day when God will reveal and will reconcile all things. The day when the Lord will distinguish Between those who fear him and those who arrogantly mock him, that day is coming, burning like an oven. Okay, picture this growing, sustaining heat when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. It's like ashes. Like picture just grabbing ashes in your life, in your hands, I mean, and just blowing it. It's just that's what God will do in revealing evildoers or the wicked who arrogantly mock him him the day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch but for you who fear my name okay do you see now there's that this last part is is anticipating the day of the lord with fear for those who fear god in this life, at this time, who rightly look at the cross and see the horror of his judgment and the beauty of his saving grace. Grace means undeserved favor. Those who rightly fear him, the day is coming. And what will that look like? It will look like this. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and this isn't in the in the original language i would love to son of righteousness son jesus right and Yes, Jesus is the son of righteousness. And I do just want to at least point our eyes to that. This beauty, this, this, this imagery, this picture that I don't think is a coincidence, even though in the again, the Hebrew and translating that over to the Greek, and then thousands of years later translating that over to our English and all of a sudden, right? We don't need to go there, but just to see, again, we have a cross here. We know the end of the story. The beauty and the promise is this: the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. There's a warmth. There's a, there's a comforting. Those who rightly fear God now, the day of the Lord is coming, and we can look at it with anticipation, with hope. And then look at this, just I think such a fun picture. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Like just picture that. Like I'm not a farmer; never lived on a farm. Don't really plan to ever. But that imagery of little calves that have been in the stall, maybe for their own protection, and then all of a sudden the gates are open. The springtime has come. They and they're 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 prancing, they're dancing, they're leaping with joy out in the meadow. And I think unbeknownst to them, even look what happens. And this is. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Again, earlier, this temptation is to look at everyone else who we think has it all made and then to be envious and jealous and for that to even turn into arrogantly mocking God. But God says, no, if you continue to rightly fear me, if you find your identity and your hope and your trust in me, says the Lord, one day, On that day of distinguishing, you who fear the Lord will leap and dance and prance like a calf warmed under the sun, and those who arrogantly, wickedly mock him will be crushed like pebble, like ashes underfoot. And now, as we close, I want to give a warning. And we've talked about this a lot here, and this tends to happen. As I even said in the prayer earlier, recognizing outside of God's intervention, we hear the wrong things. And what that often looks like is those who do fear the Lord, who, who love him, who have sensitive, soft hearts, hear something like this and pile on. We feel shame. Oh, I should give more. Okay, Dave, you know, the, the, the pastor shamed me. I should give more. I, oh, I'm, I mocked God. I, I had a question. I doubted for a moment, and during that song, or I, 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 I zoned out for a minute during the time of confession, I'm, man, I'm probably going to get crushed. Right, let me encourage you. It's not my job to, but I, I want to pray right now even. I trust that the Holy Spirit will do the work that only he can do. That, that, that again, your, your response would be to look at the cross and see the wrath of God. And then also that you would be comforted as you see his love revealed to you. And that while you're yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. hear me, if you question, does God love me? Is he going to smite me? Is he going to crush me like ashes underfoot? Am I wicked? No, how much does God love you? He loves you this much. He loves you that much. He loves you so much. But then again, my warning that I also don't want to skip over in this love letter as we wrap up Malachi together, God's love is a lot of us hear it and we just think, that's not me not talking to me. And we just move on. And we just so instantly, so quickly place ourselves with the righteous, with those who rightly fear the God. So I also fear the Lord. I also want to encourage us to consider, where have you robbed God through consumerism? Where have you mocked God with arrogance? And when you consider the coming day of the Lord, are you one who should rightly anticipate that day because you fear him with awe and wonder and worship? Or should you be terrified and let that lead you to confession, to repentance, which means turning to faith in Jesus, who alone as our hope of salvation and fullness of righteousness. I don't know where or how you individually or all of us corporately need to respond, but let's respond together. Let me pray for us and trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us. My prayer is that we would respond with fear and a sense of reverence and awe to Jesus and his work and his coming day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you. And Lord, I have a strong sense of my own inadequacy. Lord, I don't know what every person in this room needs to hear, what every individual needs to hear. Lord, for those who need to be comforted, I pray that you will comfort in the way that only you can comfort. Lord, those who do fear you, Lord, remind them that the day is coming when you will reconcile all things to yourself. And you will wipe away every tear when you will will bring healing to pain and, and suffering. And Lord, for those of us, though, who have grown so calloused and so hardened that we hear your word and it bounces off of our hearts like one rock hitting another rock, Lord, I I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will soften us. Lord, let us respond to your very loving, but very difficult, very burdensome message. Lord, let us respond rightly to the person and work of Jesus our only hope. In his name we pray. Amen.